Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24-7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on-demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. Welcome to the session. I'm Ethan, the CEO of Latchel here. And uh, today I've got Jonathan Cook and Brian Jenkins from AHI Properties. Um, as you all already know, at Latchel, we handle 24-7 maintenance coordination for property managers. So you can focus on more important things like growing your business. Uh, when we first started Latchel, we had actually talked about starting a property management company. We consulted with a bunch and said, this sounds like a lot to tackle. Why don't we just handle maintenance? <laughs> um, so we started with maintenance. Oh, that's so easy. Uh, a little bit easier than taking the whole package on, right? Um, but that's what you guys have done at AHI Properties, uh, one of the biggest property management companies in Alabama. Um, really excited to dive into how you created your company, where you're at right now. Um, but maybe we can start just giving our audience some background on AHI. Can you tell us a little bit about the company, where you're at in your, your entrepreneurial journey? How many doors are you at? And when did you get started? Uh, well, let's say uh, I'll, I'll give you the, the short version of it because we're, we're an, odd, an odd animal, if you will. We actually sprung off of a corporate housing company, AHI Corporate Housing, which is doing corporate housing um, headquartered here out of Birmingham, operate six states and 12 marketplaces. Uh, do about 2,000 corporate apartments and been doing it since 1990. Um, so what happened and how properties kind of kicked off was uh, late 90s, our corporate clients were moving fewer people around for longer periods of time. So with that, um, they, they had longer lease terms that they wanted to do and they wanted houses versus corporate apartments. So we first got into the business uh, starting in 2000, we started buying our own portfolio, like A-class properties for corporate leaseback. Huh. Uh, between 2000 and mid-2003, we purchased uh, 52 Class A properties for corporate leasebacks of three to five years. And then a local real estate company here that was uh, it's now Berkshire Hathaway Company, based out of Birmingham, was statewide. And they had a rental division, which was small, actually, 109 properties, but they approached us. Uh, because of all the business we did with the relocation uh, department and asked if we would be interested in purchasing it. They were ready to get out of the property management business, which, and I'll say this for all the property managers out there, the, the business that we acquired actually operated out of a Rolodex box uh, and index cards. And then they did have an accounting department through the real estate uh, platform. So, but that's how they did the record keeping. There was nothing electronic about it. Uh, they just had an email and then it had, uh, you know, just their accounting software, which was business based and not anything out, outward facing toward tenant or, or owner client. Now, Brian, <clears throat> I will say operating out of a Rolodex box, realistically, if you just get started and you don't know what you're doing, that's perfectly understandable why they did that. Is yeah. what I'm saying, Brian. But when you're a multi-million dollar real estate company, you think you'd be a little sure. more tech. I'm just saying, if I was starting one, I would all I would be all about a Rolodex box right this minute. So, so let me. So, days, right? so yeah. So January one of '04, we actually went live to other prop people's properties as well as our own portfolio. We had 161 properties under management. Um, I think of that 109 we've taken in. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I think I have nine of those left, and they were all in Birmingham. Huh. Um, so we have grown organically since then. I've done one small acquisition outside of that for less than 50 units. Uh, everything else has been organic growth. And we, uh, we are now managing just under 1,200 single family homes in five marketplaces. So 
Uh, we're in Huntsville, Alabama. We have four Alabama marketplaces, Huntsville, Birmingham, Montgomery, and Mobile, uh, as well as Oklahoma City. So I know that seems a bit odd, but uh, so our, our business model and growth plan is the 12 offices I mentioned earlier with corporate housing, they have brick and mortar locations. So what we try is once we get client interest in those marketplaces, we allow the interest to drive us to those markets because we already have a lot of the overhead knocked out with brick and mortar office Ooh. space. So then we just bring in the equipment and the systems, hire local talent, and we're, we hit the ground running. Well, that's awesome. So you have 1,200 single family home you're managing across these six different territories, and that's alongside these multifamily properties? Yeah, that's in in uh, in addition to the multifamily. My wife runs our corporate housing uh, division, and, and they're in the six states. We're only in two states and five locations. So so we're a little bit behind on the gotcha. growth curve, but we're doing doing pretty well. Well, if someone wants to buy a portfolio rough. in one of those places, we'll we'll move and manage them. Awesome. But yeah, you bring us something more than one or two. And when did you start doing single family? That was in 2004. Uh, when did we start doing what? I'm sorry. Single, single, family. single family. Well, we managed our own single family from late 2000 to, uh, to 2003. And then we were approached in late in last quarter 2003 where we started picking up other people's assets. And we just realized, you know what? Wow. Um, my partner's always been, he's, he's the money man and he's always, Hey, let's, uh, let's use other people's money. Um, so that's, uh, that's always been, um, that's, that's been a good option for us using other people's money to make profit and then turn around and reinvest our own money to expand even further. So we, we continually buy properties. Um, you know, I'm in the Mm -hmm. process. We closed, closed on a, closed one yesterday, closed on a, uh, a big A-class $437,000 house on Tuesday. Uh Tuesday, oh, and we've we've done a corporate lease back for three years. Uh, we're exceeding one, uh, exceeding the one percent rule on on return. So we're uh, we're doing great on that. So we do that for the right corporate clients for the right terms and right lease back. Uh, mm-hmm. But those that's kind of where we blend our products a bit, where we'll do the management, we'll purchase, uh, and then we'll do that with other people's homes too. We'll, we'll create corporate rental environments, and uh, I wish we had a walk around camera because like. Two thirds of our building, which is you know close to fifteen thousand square feet here in Birmingham, is warehouse. It's it's all racked out commercial it's furniture. It's yeah, it's it's wow. uh, it's pretty nuts. It's mind blowing until you see it. So we have a lot of a lot of working parts. Uh, property management side of the house, I've got twenty two uh, twenty two team members, and then total company employees. We have ninety six employees across our platform. I, I want to say. I feel like it needs to be, it bears repeating that you're exceeding a 1% rule on a $430,000 house. Uh, I know that's, un, that's unfurnished, by the way. So that's, we're going to take I'm into just that. It's impressive. But I want to dig into everything you've actually just talked sure. about. But before we do, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about each of your backgrounds personally. Have you always been in? Real estate and property management. Did you start somewhere else? Brian, maybe we can start with you and then jump over to you, Jonathan. Go for it. Okay. All right. So, uh, so I'm a bit of a anomaly, I think. So, I'm uh, I, I went straight out of high school into the military. Spent nine years uh, between the Army, uh, Navy first, and then Army. So I, I'm a dual branch service guy. Um, ended up, I worked, worked on jets. Yeah. That's what pictures behind me. Yeah. Uh, worked on jets in the Navy, worked on F-18s. And then when I transitioned out of the Navy into the army, I actually became an airborne medic, uh, combat medic and, uh, went on to get my, uh, EMT and paramedic license while I was in service. Um, and along the way, I, uh, went back to school, got my degree, uh, in biblical theology. And uh, so here I am being a property manager. So that all makes sense. Yeah, it sounds um, like a natural progression. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I've been in property management. Good question. Uh, <laughs> I've been in property management since 2000. And, uh, and really uh, with me, you know, was it love at first sight? I'm a, you know, I'm a problem solver. That's why I like uh, property management. And I'm truly one of these weird guys that loves it and uh, come to work every day. It's a different challenge. And there's highs and lows, but ultimately I've been doing it for 19 years. Um, I did it 10 years, uh, well, 11 years pretty much without NARPM. Found NARPM and NARPM changed our business 
360 degrees. I mean, it's, it's spun us completely around and then put right. us back on track. So, um, and that, that has been a, uh, it's, it's really been business life changing. Um, we've turned around and, uh, especially after NARPM rolled out their company memberships a couple of years ago. Um, I've got every member of my team as a member of NARPM plugging into the education and, and, uh, we, we really, um, just invest in that 100%. I, I really want our managers to be uh, well-educated and, and best-in-class operators is our focus. Awesome. And did you get into, we'll get into um, that transition to NARPM a little bit later. Um, I'm curious, though, when you went into property management in 2000, how did you approach that? Did you work with another company or did you say, you know, I'm going to start, start my no, own? No, you know what? I got out in 90, uh, I got out of the military in 1996 and uh, worked for a corporate housing company for uh, a couple of years. Mm. And then I I, uh, I actually went off and partnered with uh, a gentleman that used to be uh, one of three partners of this business originally and uh, formed a, uh, a residential, commercial, uh, janitorial, uh, pressure washing, window cleaning business that we mm. had about we had about 25 employees, uh, so we were we were competing with uh, most of your your retail cleaning services and janitorial and such. Uh, from that, I actually uh, uh, sold sold that off to the partner. Uh, went back home. I'd had a family member pass away. I'm originally from West Virginia, and uh, my parents have been entrepreneurs since uh, since my junior year of high school. And I won't tell you how many years ago that was, but it's been a while. Um, but they, my parents have always worked together and I know it takes a special relationship and my wife and I actually work together here. Um, she's been with AHI on the corporate housing side, which we're not partnered, but she's been working uh, with my partner on the property side for 30 years this, this August. And uh, I've, I've been invested a total of, um, 21 years with with this particular company and how i got it I, when i had gone home i reached back out to one of the partners just checking in and he's like hey if if you're not doing anything why don't you come back to alabama and help us start a real estate platform we want to start buying some property so that's how all the uh ahi properties got its start and i still remember this a real quick fun story was uh that that approach that came from uh, the real estate company asking us if we were interested in acquiring them. Uh, my partner, you know, I wasn't a partner at the time, but he came to me and he's like, you know, he said, I'm going to leave this up to you. And it was just me and, and my now maintenance supervisor who's still with me. Um, and I, we talked about it, Philip and I did. And, I, you know, I said, Philip, why don't we think about this over the weekend? We'll reconvene on Monday and we'll give our decision to Ralph. So, so we came in on Monday and it's like, you know what, why not? So let's give it a shot. So, uh, so we made the decision and plunged right into it. Uh, really did not have a clue what we were doing. And uh, I think the first 90 days, I didn't try to market anything. I just tried to get my hands on the, the horns of the steer that we had just landed and, and yeah. try to get that under control and just hire, you know, we hired uh, an office manager. So it was a three person team kind of going through that 161 properties, which we had our piece already down pat. Um, but just if, if you can imagine, if you've gone through an acquisition, owners are a little anxious about the new management company they know nothing about. Yeah. And uh, one yeah, after after about a month, we uh, my partner and I were coming back from lunch and came up the top of the stairs. Receptionist was at lunch. And they'd gone on a mail run. All of our mail sitting on the desk, and one of the homeowners that we had just acquired was kind of rifling through <laughs> our, our mail. And it's like, excuse me. <laughs> so that sounds like some kind of breach or something there. <laughs> yeah, so we're probably looking that, for a check to, for that. We looked at each other after she left and goes, uh, this is not renew that one. <laughs> wow. so, so that's that's my story. And uh, Jonathan, you know, the fun thing about our company is uh, we have um, I'm trying to remember if we have 
three or four husband wife teams working in our company. Four, I think. Four. So four. Jonathan is one of them. We actually have three in Birmingham. Yeah, just three. So just in no, our main uh, office. So it sounds a little incestual, but it's really it's really not. It's nepotistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's yeah, the yeah. that's the environment we the environment we try to foster is long term employees, career oriented. Uh, family atmosphere because our philosophy is we spend more time together than we do with our families. So unless we're here and you're married to somebody that works in yeah, the building, right. and then you just that's have right. to spend all your time with your <laughs> yeah. wife, like I do. It's and great. that takes, and I learned that from my parents. That takes a special relationship. Sure does. Think about anybody you know. You know, the majority of my friends are like, "Man, I couldn't work with my wife. I think I'd strangle her, and, and vice versa." Um, I worry Katie's going to strangle me from time to time, just like just a little so, bit. But the thing is, the reality of it is, and my wife and I both running operations, uh, it gives us a certain amount of insight into one another as to what kind of day we've had or what's going on. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we know when to shut that off and have us time, and not just be all consumed by work. So that's that's that balance. Yeah, there's a, a at Latro. A lot of people don't know this, but um, Will, who's usually on the show, he's not here. He's mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this before we started. He's actually at a baby yeah. appointment right now, um, due in August, sometime in August. Um, I don't. I think it's August eighth, if I remember right. His wife actually worked with us for a long time. Um, oh wow. And it is interesting to have like that dynamic. I saw it in them um, working together, you know, eight, eight hours, 10 hours. I, we're a startup. I'm sure you've had days like this. You go 12, 14 hour days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you're back at <laughs> we, home. We haven't started up in a long time, but from time to time, you, you, sometimes you need a 12 hour day. You do sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes so, you need the 12 hour day to just escape from whatever is going to happen at home when you get back. So, yeah. Well, I'll say, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of my kids are now 21 to 28. I've got four of them. Um, I've got one married and I had my first grandchild in March, a uh, little baby boy. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So I'm a grandfather and I'm the oldest of my brother. So I'm okay with that. And then, uh, <laughs> and then my, uh, my oldest son is actually getting married in October, which is going to make me be late to national convention for NARPM. But I think they're going to give me a pass on that. So I won't be in until Wednesday. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he deserves a pass there. <laughs> so, so, but uh, yeah, and I, I think I've got a class scheduled to teach on Thursday, which uh, they swapped around for me so I could get that nice. accomplished. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's my fun story, but I don't want to take away from from your, your, so your, give us your, your story. Is, your story oh, is no. much more impressive. <laughs> only, only, only in your eyes. So. Well, I mean, Brian has been doing property management as long as I have been like an adult. So that that's wow, pretty you. impressive. That makes me feel quite old. I just want to say, just saying. Well, let's, let's but it as a <laughs> you should. Um, when I was, I grew up in real estate, which is kind of weird to be a kid that just knows as much about real estate as my life trajectory took me on. Uh, my mom and my stepdad, they, they've been in real estate since I was like five years old, like for real. And so my my mother's best friend is a real estate broker. My stepdad was a real estate broker. They owned a company. It was just real estate all the time. It was just constantly yeah. going out, being in real estate, but it was always on the sales side. I mean, it was yeah. it was just the real estate sales side of it forever. Um, and then when I graduated high school, um, it just became like, that was the, that was the path that was going to make probably the most sense. And, you know, I'd moved down, I, I was in Auburn, you know, when I was in college, I went down there and it was, you know, that's, that's a little bit different than, than Birmingham. And I was in Auburn and started selling cars when I was 19 years old. I thought that was, that'd be fun. I can do yeah. that. Um, so, so that was my very first like real adult job was I started selling cars. I figured how hard can it be? I got into sales, um, moved back up to Birmingham when I, <laughs> when I had my uh, first son, uh, or my only son, my first child, we moved back up to Birmingham cause this is where I'm from. I grew up in Birmingham. I've been here my whole life. And, uh, so I moved back up here to be closer to family. And I was like, well, I guess real estate, I don't want to sell cars in Birmingham. Now that I have a kid, I need to be at home. Because when you're selling cars, sometimes those 12, 14 hour days that was happening. And I didn't yeah. realize that that was going to happen way more when I was in real estate, but I had babies. So I got in real estate. Um, I was the youngest realtor in the state when I got my license. So that was neat for about five minutes until someone else got their license, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in real estate. It was just sales and uh, 
I, you know, I, I'd sold a good bit of homes in that first year. And then 2008 happened in my second year. Mm. That was when Alabama started to really hit that hard real estate drop. Yeah. 2009, <laughs> 2010 is probably when it hit the bottom. But I, I had just got my license in the middle of 2007. And that first year was great. Everything was wonderful. And then it just stopped. Real estate just stopped being something yeah. that I could do with a new family. And it makes sense. So it went from selling houses, listing houses to like, I had to find some little niche and I found uh, investors, found investors and just local investors that were buying, you know, let's go buy this block of this city here. And I'm like, you want to buy a block? I had so many for, yeah. for clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they would buy like 10 or 15 homes and still only spend like 200 grand. And so, like, I was just still making just barely enough to, like, actually survive on those commission checks. It was, it was fun. Uh, but I, I good, got the good experience. It was very good experience. But it, it got me. Character. Sure did. <laughs> but it gave me that. Um, I understood how investors started working. I understood how their minds worked. Mm. And I got really good at, at finding ones that are like, this one is going to work, even though it doesn't make sense right this second. Um, let's look at these. Why is this one going to work? And I started understanding what made a good property to invest in, what made a good thing to spend money on. Even when the real estate market is crashing, how can you invest in real estate mm. when nothing is selling? Oh, you rent properties. Clearly, that's how you do it. You buy a yeah. property and you put a tenant in there. Um, luckily, like I said, my, my family was in real estate and my mom owned some large number of homes herself, my mother and my stepdad, they, they owned a lot of property and they were self-managing and they're like, Hey, you know, you're having, you're right now, real estate's tanked. Uh, you can be our property manager along with other side jobs that I was working, just trying to stay afloat. Um, hmm. so I mean, I, you know, I would go around and pick up rent checks and, you know, take complaints from, from tenants and kind of understand part of what property management was. Not everything, certainly not everything, but just kind of dipping my toe in it, trying to understand it. And it was, it was not, I mean, it couldn't have been more than maybe 10 properties at, at the most, maybe, maybe 12. I don't remember exactly, yeah. but it was, it was not a ton. It was a very small amount of properties compared to what we handle right this minute. Um, and so it became like just something that I, I halfway understood um, and, and got a, got a good feel for it. Then my wife, uh, ended up working here at AHI and she works for Brian's partner, Ralph. Um, and she, you know, I'd came, I've, I'd come to the Christmas party, what, probably three or four years in a row. Probably four. Probably yeah. four years I'd come to the Christmas was party. Was that how you two first met at one of the Christmas parties? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I, was, was. I was coming to the Christmas party anyway. I was like, hey, Brian, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. He's like, not much. How's it going? I'm like, I'm trying to list these houses. And man, it's rough, rough business. And finally I was like, hey, Brian, why don't we, uh, what do you think about me coming and working for AHI? And he's like, yeah, why didn't you ask? It's like, well, I just did. And so I've been working at AHI since. Um, I mean, that's pretty seamlessly how it went. That's awesome. And since then, coming into AHI, it became this uh, understanding how to operate for a property as a property manager for a very small amount of people when it's just like maybe one or two owners, which is what I was had experienced. Mm -hmm. Or helping investors find, you know, some homes. But again, just like having one or two clients bringing me stuff to do to now, how, all right, out of our 1,100 homes, Brian, how many owner clients do you think we have? Uh, we have about uh, just a little under 500 owners. So. so it went from, hey, talk to these two people about making decisions and, and helping them five, and, and picking now. up rent checks to, hey, there's 500 people that need you right now. Okay. Not so, to mention all the potential new business coming in. Oh yeah, because that of your too. Position, so. that, yeah, my position. I'm I'm the I'm business development. So my entire job is based off of bringing new people into Birmingham, helping huh. helping find new business that that wants us to manage their properties. And so it's I'm very glad and very lucky that I have the team that I have here at AHI because it becomes such a there's so many things and I can understand how anybody just starting to do this. I can understand how overwhelmed it can be like, well, I've got to, I've got to go get those rent checks and I've got to make sure that the house is maintained and I've got to make sure that the tenant is also paying on time. And then they're having complaints about maintenance issues. And then, uh, what else do I have to, Oh, then I have to go find a new person that wants to, you know, let me manage their properties. 
all of that at once, if you're doing that all by yourself, like, I mean, kudos, good job. I'm super impressed. It's not very scalable. It's not very scalable, but good job. I'm super impressed. We have this team, which is literally how I do my job. I'll talk to people. Hey, why do I need AHI to manage my properties? I'm like, everyone here but me, basically. But, you know, I'm good at pitching everyone else in this office because they're all amazing. And they do all those. They they handle all those things you don't think about, which I just kind of stumbled. I I would learn something new with my old property management situation like if somebody didn't pay on time it'd be like the first time that that had ever happened my, my mother had purchased this tiny little c-class property in montevallo which is like a poor little area near college town but it was a forty thousand dollar property uh-huh. and it's like the first time that that did, tenant didn't pay i was like now what what <laughs> she didn't pay i went out i knocked on the door i was like hey yeah. uh, i need your rent check and she was like i don't have it i was like well, well, I need it. And she's like, I don't have it. I, you, I was young or younger. I didn't know what to do when that happened. It's, it's just when you have it run into a situation, yeah. not knowing what to do and it's the first time that happens, if you're by yourself, that's overwhelming. Here, I run into situations mm. I've never heard of. For instance, hey, we've got a German client that's in Germany and we need to mail something to Germany. I'm like, I've never mailed anything to Germany. Luckily, he's been a client here for way longer than I've been here. So everybody know, already knows how to send him a letter or whatever. Right. So it's like, Oh, this is how you do that. This is how you talk to this person. This is how this handle, because we have this giant, you know, com- or not giant. It's pretty big. We have this team that just can help me when I've run into something that I don't know how to do. And we all have, everyone can pitch ideas back and forth about new things and where something's going. Hey, what should there's... we market this property for? We can all yeah. ask. Do you think there's a right time for a startup property management company to look for first hire? I do. I, I think, uh, you know, I've kind of been there myself because when it was, and this is when it was just Philip and I and trying to kick off with, you know, when it was, you know, 52 of our own properties, the two of us handled it seamlessly. I could have, honestly, I could have handled mm-hmm. that probably by myself. Uh, but it made it a heck of a lot easier with the second person, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's, there's kind of an industry standard, if you will, to say that, you know, in a, in a really well run organization, if you're all in one location uh, on average, about 75 houses per property manager uh, is what you're going to look at and, and being like team member or whatever, because yeah. there's, you can structure departmentally or you can structure by portfolio, like a, a property management uh, model to where there's a property manager, maybe an assistant manager, sure. um, which we have some of our outside offices structured that way. But like our larger scale office here in which we manage over 500 properties from <clears throat> that this one's set up to where we have, you know, we have leasing, we have tenant relations, investor relations, business development, maintenance, coordination. And then we have administrative support. So, so those things, um, I, I would say your scale needs to be anywhere between 50 to 75. 50 is probably overstaffed, and that's about where we're at, uh, just a little above that. But it's the reason for that is primarily because we have to duplicate certain positions because we have five brick and mortar locations. So we're having, gotcha. because of our real real estate laws and such, we have to have qualifying brokers in each of those locations. And, okay. and so you're duplicating a lot of your, uh, your workforce. So, but ideally, um, you know, that, that standard is about two years old, if I remember correctly, but it was to be fit within that 50 to 75 per prop per person on your staff uh, as a good, good average. For someone that's like a solo <coughs> business owner, solo broker, um, getting started, they're ramping up, they hit, you know, 50 properties maybe, and, and they're solo still. Is there like a position that they should look to as like the first hire? Um, first hire. So normally what we do in our outside offices, because we've, we've started small in, in some cases, go. So Oklahoma City is a prime example. We started with 22 properties, one client, mm. and went out there. I hired one property manager, which was going to be my lead, even as we grew the marketplace. And uh, so we rocked through a year. And at the end of the year, we closed another large portfolio of 89 properties. So 
So then all of a sudden, it's a ramp up we, right we there, broke a hundred. <laughs> yeah, that's like four X um, overnight. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So and then we we immediately closed another one in the month of January and a, another small one in February. So then all of a sudden we're above 160 properties under management and we're hiring staff rapidly. But my number yeah. two position higher was an assistant property manager. And, and what that looks like with two, but we, we rapidly got to the third position because I wanted three people on that basically from 150 ramp it up to two to 210. And then I'll start looking for my fourth as we continue to grow. Um, but the second position and kind of breaking it apart, because when I started this location, I was signing owners and leasing properties and handling all the admin and financial side of it. Mm-hmm. And then my, my first hire was maintenance coordinator who came on with me. Philip took all the maintenance requests, handled all of our contractor uh, relationships and negotiations and such. So that worked out well, but we yeah. rapidly determined, hey, we need a we need a third person. <laughs> Which yeah. in our in our case back in that day ended up being an office manager that handled administrative and handled the financial piece of it, and uh, and then we had to we had the luxury of having a CPA on staff here, and uh, so we we were working with the CPA when it became owner draw. I just remember those painful days, server based technology. I mean, an owner draw day was a full day for your full team. Um, now, I mean, it's literally. You know, you go through the entire process in a couple of hours and three or four clicks through the software, uh, and it's usually me and one other person, and it's it's really not nearly as nerve wracking as it used to be. And we can sure. we can pump pump out all of our payments for our vendors, our management company, and our owners uh, just in you know, like I said, just within the span of a couple of hours. So I kind of want to uh, get into the growth side. Especially like for a startup and and going from 22 to 89 and somehow making that work and not breaking and then being at 160 just another few months later is is insane. Who was focusing on on the growth and like maybe Jonathan, you can talk a little bit about how how do you actually approach growth? How do you bring in new units into the company? Well, I think there's there's more than one way to look at it. well, there's more than one approach. That's, Certainly, we 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 deploy several. We do several different strategies, and in the end, they're all feeding business into you. If you make a funnel mm-hmm. of where where can you get business from? If you if you just funnel everything, eventually have everything land in land in there, and it's it's all entirely relationship based. That's that's how you have to do it. You have to prove yourself and and make build the relationship to where people will send you business. I think the number one most important way. To handle that is NARPM. Um, oh. I mean, we we're we're NARPM members, and NARPM is one of the few organizations I've ever been a part of um, that has the kind of coordination and uh, cooperation that that I see in NARPM. Because if metaphorically, or, or, or for instance, if if somebody had a property, if one of our clients called me and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying a property in." Uh, North Carolina. We don't have an office in North Carolina, but I know three people off the top of my head that I would go, oh, oh all day long. Call them. Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got their you, phone you number in my cell phone. Yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, it's just it's just. Call, hey, here you go. I can text you their cell phone. I can just share you their cell phone number. Call this person and get it handled. And the reason that we know these people is because of NARPA. Yeah. It's 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 a that organization gets you in touch with these other people and. If if you're in NARPM, you're actually trying to better yourself, anyways. It's very right. yeah. It's lifting very the clear. level of the profession across the board, and that's you know that's that's NARPM uh, at, in its whole. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's sharing the best best ideas, best practices, education pieces, serving together. Uh, I always say every time I go to a NARPM event, uh, whether it's chapter or national level, uh, it's like a family reunion. Everybody knows you by first name and there's 6,000 members. It's not a huge organization. We are trying to grow, but I mean, it's still 6,000 members. And I've got, I mean, I've only been in it since 2011, uh, October 2011. And I've got friends all across the country and I can dial them up, like Jonathan said, or text many of them. And uh, just ask them what what they feel, uh, you know, based on this situation, what would be your advice to me? And I, you know, I alluded to it earlier in the in the podcast that 
you know, I managed for 10 years. And I always felt like I had to learn from my own mistakes, as painful uh-huh. that, as I was. And we give the analogy of beating your head against the door, Jim, <laughs> because that's what it felt like sometimes. Sure. But, yeah. I were, you know, I went to the first event in Dallas, and I haven't missed a national event since then. But I went to that event, and immediately the first thing that just stood out to me was just the networking and then the education pieces and then the after education networking and where people were sharing specific examples on what they were doing and how it was working for them and how do, how do you implement it? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. managing several hundred properties, how do you implement that? What timeline should you look at and, and that sort of thing? So that's where everybody's helpful. Um, and it's not just dialing them up. They even have a, they have a couple of different listservs for property managers at large. They have one, another one for broker owners. So you can pitch questions out there and get immediate responses from across yeah. the country. And that's uh, that's a really big, uh, big value add for for folks that are growing their business and, and trying to sort out best practices, uh, build additional income streams. Um, guess I can't tell you. Well, that's also how you can make those connections for if we don't if somebody else needs wherever your listeners are, if you're just getting started, if you happen to be filling a niche that that someone else doesn't, but they, they know that you're a NARPA member. The good thing about the reason that I, I refer to NARPA members, if it's something out of our expertise, is because I know what's backing them up. I know mm. that they're not just I'm not going to refer one of my clients to someone who's going to drop the ball. I mean, and yeah. so being a NARPA member, it, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of clout. And starting that, if you're if you're looking to build business, being a NARPA member, that's that's step one. And then from that, it becomes the, well, what are you want your niche to be? What, what is your niche? Are you the guy that's going to take, if, if you're willing to do C-class properties, working with government subsidized <laughs> housing and, and okay, that's, I'm willing to start. That's where I want to start. And hey, I think I'm a lot of uh, dig through property that stuff. managers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of property managers and just business owners, they uh, yeah. early on, they're willing to just take anything. Exactly. And yeah. you're talking That's about like building the niche. Like how do you balance those two things? Like I want to take business. I want to make money. Like yeah. if you're willing well, to work with me, come on in. Versus, and that's the balance because early, early on, that was my approach yeah. and taking, uh, I don't want to say everything, but because we had actually, we were a little different just because we took on the AHI name to run with the corporate housing reputation had been around for a while. So we had a, a standard, if you will. We wanted to maintain a reputation within our corporate environment uh, in all our marketplaces. So, so what we what we initially did, though, I was taking, you know, I, I took clients that really had no clue what they were doing mm-hmm. as a property owner, and they really weren't investors. They were just accidental landlords. Um, we were taking those in primarily, I mean, especially after 07, 08 happened. Um, and then we had to be creative and it was like, okay, you have to safeguard against people coming in that, oh, you know, they're past due on a mortgage four or five months. They're going to want you to get this house rented out, take the rent check and run basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so safeguarding against those type of nuances and just realizing who we were. And then what we tried to focus on was getting ourselves from about 2000, I want to say about 2009 to about 2015 focused on A and B class properties and being that corporate level rental. And I don't want to, I don't want to say just, it's really, that's a misleading statement because fully furnished corporate uh, lease backs that we do, that only represents about three to 4% of our inventory, depending on time of year. Um, Would you even say any of those are B class realistically? A few. Uh, We even have, so we have the first, three C-class properties I've ever done corporate rental. That, yeah, that's new. Um, two, so for the last two years, that's an interesting story. Um, but it works. I never thought it would. But so back in 15, um, Ralph and I decided to really focus in on the diversity of our portfolio because we we knew there would come a time when the sales market would rebound mm-hmm. and that people would start to sell. Okay. So all these accidental landlords, which made up the, the largest part of our ownership uh, in our client base, they would start to sell and then we would start to lose inventory. And if we only focused on those, where were we going to go to get new inventory? Because we're seeing that now. We are seeing it and we've been seeing it. I mean, our industry has been seeing it for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's the feedback you get from other NARPA members across the country. It's like, yeah, are you losing inventory because your owners are selling and 
you know, are you able to participate in that as a brokerage service, that sort of thing. So, so we, we actually started uh, attending a couple different conference events. So IMN was one of them and yeah. Five Star was the second one. And we started focusing in on uh, funds and small REITs and just identifying with them in our marketplaces and really courting to that crowd of clientele. And after attending a few of the events and having some networking opportunities and getting some interviews, we actually were able to land some business and that started changing the tide. So now we're, you know, while we have, we still have a great mix of AB properties, we're, we're probably 40 to 45% C-class properties now wow. to where we've diversified out and, and we're doing some of the Section 8. Now the, the large investors are trying to stick with a formula of about 15% of their total investment portfolio be Section 8, no more than that. Um, so we try to help help with that, uh, but managing Section Eight, managing Standard C class, and then of course the B and A classes, which you have different options of going corporate rental or or just standardized rental there. And we're we're actually on the cuff of of uh, because of our corporate housing business model, and we have all the tools in place. We're now looking into launching a, a basically an Airbnb model because we've had some success, uh, and in, I'm super Denmark, excited about it. And yeah. I've actually got some I'm super excited about it. It's the most exciting thing that's happened. Yeah, so we, we've got we've got uh, got a couple of NARPA members that have been doing it successfully for about a year now. Mm. Uh, just want to get some track record under their belt so they can share some stories with me. Uh, but like I said, we've got I mean we've got we do a lot of turns. Our corporate housing average stays sixty days, so we're doing a lot of turnover. You know, inventory inspections in between tenants, make readies. So we've got those systems in place in all of our markets. So it's just a matter of deploying those for Airbnb uh, structure. So, so that's, it's kind of exciting. And, and my advice personally on growth would be, you know, we do a, a good job of, of balancing it out and we've, we've created a lot of new things, especially after Jonathan came on board mm-hmm. and I felt like I had somebody that I could partner with and actually make some of my visions work. Um, and then we've, Thank you, Brian. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So we, nice job, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, he's done a nice job. So we've been taking some clients that have actually been doing. I mean, we're we're helping them uh, with some rehab work. Uh, yeah. You know, for buy buy and hold strategy, investor to investor sales strategy, or, or or buy and retail resale after rehab. Uh, so we have a lot of different strategies going on right now, and uh, it's all it's all great stuff. And and back to his funnel thing. So it's not, you know, we go to different places. We, we plug into invested investment networks, mm-hmm. um, partner with companies like, you know, we throw it around a lot, but group stock, man, they're, uh, they're great listing service for us. Um, you know, just, yeah, That's just, good. and just coming alongside a lot of our affiliates, like you guys that are, that are, you know, affiliated with, with NARPM and NARPM members and learning about it, just staying more or less cutting edge because it blows, it really truly blows my mind. If I look back at 2010, and how property management was in 2010 to where it is today. Yeah. I know it seems like property management's been around forever, but I can assure you the technology pieces that have come alongside, to, you know, property management are allowing companies like us to scale and provide consistent product across all of our platforms. The scalability yeah. becomes exponential when you have cloud-based software. It makes it to where I can do one thing in my office at my desk and our Oklahoma office can see it. Our our Huntsville office can see it as, as soon as I'm done. And so I can make a template and say, hey, this is how we're going to handle this situation. Here you go. Plug in an address and a name. Be done with it. Yeah. And, and, our, just, and our success yeah. is our success in multiple markets is, is quite simply, you know, we have policies and procedures, obviously, but I use them as a guardrail system and I allow each marketplace to have their own individual flavor. Uh-huh. So they just stay within the guardrails and the qualifying brokers run the operation. And there are certain things, you know, certain things tied into law or uh, financial uh, were pretty straightforward, black and white on those. But outside of that, my brokers have a lot of flexibility to get the job done. And at the end of the day, they're doing it our way and we're Can providing consistent can you give some examples of the guardrails? Because uh, a lot of actually uh, of our customers at Latch will talk about expanding to new markets. It's it's one of the reasons a lot of our customers even use us, so it's easier to expand. And I think they they'd really benefit if 
hearing from you, like what are the guide rails you set out going into new markets and expanding? And then what flexibility is there? Uh, like uh, probably an easy, a very easy one would be our policy on, on late payments. So our policy on late payment um, and I always give broker broker level approval is required. So that puts the agent, puts them at ease. They know their backside's covered, right? And then it's on the broker at that point. But basically what we allow as a company standard is rents due on the third with our company. After the third, it's a 10% late fee. Um, for the first time offender, uh, we authorize our, our operators to waive the late fee one time only. And if there's another circumstance that comes up after that, that requires broker level approval to override that. Um, and then my brokers have to answer to us as to why they did that. And I just want to, you know, the big thing with that is we just want to be careful. We're protecting ourselves uh, potentially for any fair housing violations or anything where we're treating okay. anybody in a different manner. But all my brokers, you know, they're trained on a different level to, to realize and risk manage that. Uh, where their staff knows that they've got the flexibility to stay within the guardrails of, hey, I can give a one-time, you know, get out of jail free card. So, do you so have like a playbook that that brokers and agents have, read? Well, we, what we have is we have I have itemized uh, policies, and okay. every time we hire somebody new, what I do with that is I've got them on our server. We're a server-based company, but also download a memory stick for them, and we have all of our procedures and policies on that. Awesome. So that's, that's it, part of their, did part you of their homework. From scratch? So you, we did actually, uh, you know, painfully, I, I, it was NARPM that inspired me to do that. And, and mm. what, what inspired me really was to uh, the challenge to systemize our business so that at the end of the day, if we wanted to hang it up and retire and get out of the business and sell off, we would have a marketable, company to sell, not just a book of management business, mm. but a complete business of systems and the company and the brand. And that's what we focused on. Um, and, and quite honestly, it's not, it, it sounds, it always sounded like a daunting task, but really what got me moving was I had a college intern working in here for me for the summer. And I, I just went, I took a weekend and I went through and I wrote out all the processes I could possibly think of within our business. Yeah. And I said, you know, and it was Mary Hannah. So oh my Mary God. Hannah, I said, Mary Hannah, I want you to go around. And I wrote out the person's name beside the process. I said, I want you to schedule a time to sit down with them, interview them and get them to document this process out for you. I then want you to turn around and put it in this word format and save it uh, on a memory stick. So she did all that for me throughout the summer. And, uh, and it really didn't take her the entire summer. It was really about a, about a one month project. By the time you work out everybody's schedules and all that, and then bring it back to me so I could review it. And then we go back to them with additional questions and fine tune a little bit. Mm. But the purpose, the thing to remember is that's always been drilled into my head. They're, they're living, breathing documents. So as things change, you need to be able to adapt those documents and uh, and when you do that, you have to make your staff aware. Because was that, that before DocuSign yeah. that you did that originally? Uh, no, I had DocuSign okay. time. Yeah, so. I can remember doing real estate before DocuSign, and that was electronic <laughs> signatures, were not yeah. like a thing that you could do. Yeah, that's probably but, a big pain in the butt. Oh but, man! And the other thing was, think about when you hire somebody in. You don't want all the knowledge to be up here, and then when if they ever leave you, all the knowledge goes with them. Yeah. Um, you want it. You want it proceduralized so you can bring the next person in. And really, you know, we talked about the software companies. Software companies have done a great job of that. They've got that step by step. You watch this block for this module of of, of uh, interaction with the software, and you watch the next one. And then yeah. for certain certain roles, you can say do you know do modules one, three, five, and seven because that's pertinent to your role. You don't necessarily need to know everything about the software and all that it does, but you need to know what's in your lane. So mm -hmm. so that works out pretty well. Awesome. I'm kind of curious, like as you were expanding and growing, uh, even early on, were there certain hurdles that you had to figure out how to overcome? Like, what, what were the hurdles you ran into? Well, is this just in bringing new business, or is this just in yeah, running what business? You oh, have? no, it could it could be either one. If if you hit a hurdle, like in figuring out how to get new business, let's talk about that. If you hit like a 
scaling problem where you were growing so fast that things just started breaking. Like, let's talk about I that. will say this as far as new business goes. Um, when, once we started taking on um, national investors and, and taking these people that were coming in through. Yeah, let me add one thing. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to pause you real quick. So the one thing I want to add is we have an internal insurance agency in-house. That's huge. Uh, which was a game changer in our business development model. So I'll let Jason, or I'm sorry, I'll, uh, uh, Jason's on my mind. He's I know, there, he's so. downstairs. He's our insurance guy. <laughs> I'll let Jonathan keep on going. Well, the insurance part, that's that's huge being able to, because I just had an instance today where a guy's insurance was, wasn't going to cover a vacant property <coughs> because it was it's his insurance. It's his homeowner's insurance. I'm like, call ours. Why, why yeah, they don't have that requirement. Exactly. But <clears throat> when one of the things that I noticed when I first started taking in business here and it was everybody calling because AHI has been a pretty big staple in Alabama and Birmingham way before I was here. And so I'm coming in and it's everybody, hey, I need you to manage my property. I need you to manage my property. I need you to manage my property. And at first, if you just take all those in, what ends up happening is a lot of those properties are either spread out too far because you're, you just want to take, take in the business. You think that's your job is just to take mm. in the business. That's the smartest thing is just to take in the business. But then you end up taking properties that if you can't actually go to the property or have someone lay eyes on the property and you don't know that it's maintained to a certain level, it just becomes hard to set an expectation with an owner when they buy a property and they're like, okay, I need you to manage this property, but they've never seen it. If, if they're buying it from another state and they're buying it mm -hmm. uh, basically over the internet, they're virtually investing in, in real estate. They've never seen it. So they don't know what information to tell you. This is going to be an issue. This is going to be an issue. This is going to be an issue. So watch those items. If they're just saying, Hey, I bought this property. I close on it today. I need you to manage my property. And they've never seen it. And you've yeah. never seen it. You have an address. And of course you can pull it up on the internet and go, okay, I, I know about what it should rent for. I mean, I have an idea. Uh, without getting out there to the property, if, if you just take in everything, that's what I noticed is if you just take in everything, the ones that are going to cause you the most trouble are the ones are they're, they're going to cause you a lot of trouble and they're not actually going to be worth it. If, if I'm making, let's you just say 10%, yeah. what you're going to take in, if, right? if I'm making 10% on a $600 a month rental, that's 60 bucks. And, but if it takes me $45 to drive out there and I have to drive out there every few days because, well, I need you to go check this. I need you to go check that. I need you to go. It's, it's, it's literally not worth it. It's not fiscally responsible. Yeah. And then you're, that client isn't going to be happy because you won't be able to have time to do it. That, that tenant that if you ever do place one, it's not going to be happy because it's hard to get to. And it, it, it means as much as it means enough to you that your name is on that property you want it to do well. You want to take care of that client. It's just, it's in a difficult spot to get to, or if it's just whatever yeah. kind of issues it is, if the property already has issues when you take it in, so it's, how do you it just approach, becomes a hassle. How do you approach getting to those new areas then? Do you wait until you have like a large portfolio where you could support putting someone like in the area? Well, that would, we've, we've done knowledge. it both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done small, medium, large portfolios. I, mm -hmm. My first expansion, uh, my first two expansions, the first one was Mobile, and we went there with 75 properties. Mm -hmm. um, we started Huntsville next uh, with 10 properties. And then I started Montgomery with 168 properties. And then we started Oklahoma with 22. So so we're kind of all over the board. Um, but the, the ideal is to look at the marketplace, see if it makes sense for your, for your growth strategy, yeah. because ultimately you don't want to put all your eggs in, in the, the one basket with the large client because something happens with the large client, which I've had a close friend of mine in Norman that went through that lost two thirds of her business size overnight and mm -hmm. closed one of one of her two locations. And she still survives today and is growing again. But, uh, you know, she learned a painful lesson, had to let staff go. And, you know, those are painful moments. So mm -hmm. you, you want to make sure it makes sense. You want to make sure you've done your research on the marketplace uh, to include, you know, the employment base, uh, the area, the, the level of expertise in property management that you can tap into and hire, because it's all going to come down to your local 
um, your local expert. And that, you know, if you've got somebody that knows the marketplace and knows property management, you can be successful. You can train them on the, how you go about doing that, but you need that base knowledge and you need that base expertise. So you've mentioned NARPUM a lot. <laughs> and I so, I, and you've also mentioned Wait. that was a turning point when you joined NARPUM. Well, you know, you know my role, my current role with NARPUM, right? So I'm a no, member. I, I, uh, I don't. So, <laughs> so I'm I a can national, make a guess. But. Yeah. Well, I am the National Member Services Committee Chair. So okay. I, I work and uh, try to entice uh, members once they join to remain in NARPM, go for their designations, become professional property managers, as well as retain those that are not really active, try to figure out ways for chapters and national level membership to engage. So, so I've been doing that. This is my second year in a two year term in that role. Uh, I was the, we don't have a chapter in Alabama. We kind of talked about this summit we put on uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're trying to trigger um, some level of interest in Alabama between Huntsville, Birmingham, and Montgomery primarily, but really the entire state, to where um, they're going to become involved and we can form a new NARPM chapter within the next two years. So that's been my goal. And when I joined NARPM, the first thing I did was find a successful chapter, which was uh, consistently winning every other year because that's as much as you could win for large chapter of the year, which was Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I got plugged in into the membership in tw 2012, started on leadership in 2013, came all the way up through the ranks, was the 2017 president of that chapter, which is the largest NARPM chapter, local chapter. We have uh, just under 300 members in that chapter and uh, learned from those guys. I mean, we have people in there that are managing 10 properties to 5,000 properties. And uh, you talked about scalability. One of the guys we had on our property management summit panel, David Lightfritz, uh, with Atlantic Property Management, um, he's he's got about uh, he's currently sitting around 900 doors and uh, 950 doors or so. But at one point they grew; they had about 200 and a little. We'll call it 250 for the sake of numbers, but it was 200 and something doors. And he got some large clients in, and within a 12 month period, they added 2,000 doors. If you can imagine the scaling wow, scaling man. nightmare of that. Um, yeah, and he learned crazy. he learned the value of some of it was painful, but toward the end of it, he learned a value of utilizing virtual assistants, which we've been talking about. That's... And uh, he even mentioned on the panel, uh, which we, a, we, we'll have a podcast episode to replay this summit. It was really real, well done. But yeah. uh, he talked about if he had known about virtual assistants when he did that transition, that scaling process, you know, he wouldn't have lost nights of sleep and years off of his life. Yeah. Uh, trying to sort through that because that's that's the painful piece when you land the business you land that keeper of the fish and then all of a sudden it's like oh okay we got it so now we got to scale up for it real quick and get ready yeah. um, and and then all the while you're learning the nuances of your client they're learning your nuances so just making it work and then making it work within the confines of your business and that's not always an easy task but but I would say just the people that have poured into me and caused me to focus in on the business, not just get the work done, but how to best get the work done and most efficiently um, on my systems, my policies, my procedures, and my income streams and identifying additional income streams. One of those was a, like a great idea we've been doing for four years now, but one of uh, one of the property management firms and uh, owners of that in, in Atlanta um, was actually Robert Gilstrap's idea, but multifamily's been doing it for a while, but he's like, why can't we do this and put it into single family, which was pet rent. And uh, so, you know, adding that pet rent in and, uh, and then they're, they're doing some other ideas uh, that have taken it a step further to where management companies are retaining self-insuring against pet damage. And a lot of stuff's catching a lot of traction right now. And uh, just the number of, of pet owners applying for your properties is just off the charts. Um, I don't, really care where you are in the U.S., but it's it's happening. And and the, the old days of, no, I don't want to pet my property, you really have to rethink that strategy because you're cutting out such a large percentage. Of what is it, like 70% right now? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's like, there's like 70% of the rental market has pets. And if you just say no pets, yeah. oh, no pets. Okay, well, good luck. Yes, Sorry. Sir. That's there's one of those things that. that I was talking about earlier is is you don't know things that you don't know. Right. That's That's kind of one of those pieces that I was talking about earlier, if you don't yeah. know how to handle that, because you don't even know that you don't know that, 
right. then you get plugged in with NARPM and they tell you things like, oh, have y'all run into someone saying that they, you're like, yeah. I didn't even know what? And my, my next level challenge for our business is really to draw down and focus in on the metrics of profitability per door, mm. because it's really, it's truly not about the number of doors you manage. It's more about the profitability you have in each of those doors yeah. uh, that makes you successful. Um, Cause you can, <clears throat> you know, back to your strategy, I'll take anything and everything you can get into those situations and probably tie in on your example to yeah. where you're actually, you're paying money to actually have that property in your management portfolio, which is not a smart yeah. move. So just knowing, knowing what that looks like. But we, you know, one of the other things that I'd like to add is as, as we grow and, and keeping a consistent product and level of service. That was the point I was making. You got to keep a, keep yeah. a standard. So one of, the, one of the things that we do is we have a monthly mastermind call for our managers. And the premise of that is I'll, you know, I'll come up with an agenda and we'll have old and new business and we'll have each, each office gives a brief to everybody else, typically between an hour, an hour and a half phone call. And but the purpose of that is to bring up any pain points that they're having. And as a group, we solve that together and come up with the best practice and solution for that. And then we implement it as policy across the platform. Mm. So that really helps us stay consistent. Um, it's not perfect, but it, it yeah. definitely keeps us in tune. And we just, you know, we jump on Zoom. Where everybody's got cameras and we all just hash it all out and everybody enjoys themselves. And we, we try to just foster that environment of, of team throughout our, our branches. You guys, there's like so much I have down in my notes that I'm like we're out of time, so I can't get into this. So we might have to schedule yeah. another one. But uh, we'll I, do I don't I don't want to leave everyone hanging if they do have sure. like questions or want to connect with you. What are the best ways for people to, to follow you or connect with you? Um, well, I, I'm going to let my uh, my co-host here actually just throw us camera. out there. So um, I mean, honestly, OK. Before I do shameless plug, listen to our podcast. That, that's the point. Um, if, if if there's information that, that we piqued your interest on, we actually we have our own podcast. It's called uh, Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. We are on iTunes. We're on uh, Podbean, which is where we're hosted from. And then that spreads out to essentially all the pod catchers that there are. I mean, where, wherever you got. I haven't specifically put us on Stitcher. So yeah, I don't think we're on Stitcher, but we're on Google. It's relatively new. Us. We've been doing it since April first. Yeah. We release a new episode about once a week. Um, so we we've got uh, we're starting to develop a following, but it's it's fun. Um, a really good contact piece for both of us that distributes to both of us would be podcast at ahiproperties.com. dot com, mm -hmm. and uh, just throw your question out there. Uh, we're we're quick to get back to you and happy to share. And most of those the the podcast is geared toward the investor, um, but the stuff that we talk about, the stuff, the points that we hit on are so relevant to someone trying to build a property management firm. I mean, all of that Ooh. still is going to hit in that same. Yeah, it's best practices. Oh, it's best practices the premise, all around. The premise of it is face outward facing toward the investor, but it's coming at it from a property management perspective awesome. and how to, how to avoid pitfalls as an investor and stuff that you probably no one's told you that you should be told as you get into the business of buying real estate for buy and hold strategy. So mm. And the more you know about, in my opinion, the, the, the more you can get into your client's mind, which is the investor for a lot of us, that investor that's going to bring us in a portfolio or bring us in houses here and there. And, you know, the more you can get into that mindset or where they're at and how they're thinking, the better you can get in front of issues that they're going to have, the better you can bring them solutions before they have problems. And the more you can come off as you, you just know more. You have that expertise and you just, you sound like, oh, of course I should use you. Of course you're the best property manager for the area. You're, you're who I need to talk to because you, you're educated on this. Yeah, so no, continued well, education no, is really so crazy. Cool. The crazy piece of this was, so my partner and I guest did a guest appearance on a podcast, uh, our very first one. It's been a few years ago now, but they split it into two parts. And, uh, out of that podcast, we signed 52 new properties out of both episodes. So that piqued my interest. And then Jonathan actually had podcast experience when he came in. So it was like no brainer. And then it, now it's awesome. morphed into a business, 
business development piece, but also client education piece. That's so huge. the beauty of it is so we've got, I don't know, 13, 14 episodes out there. And we were just meeting with some clients on Monday and they're like, I listen to every episode. I've got questions on a couple of things, but I've listened to every episode. So I, I mean, they walk in, they don't, they don't know our faces, but they're like, I know, the I know voice. your voice. I know your voice. Yeah. So, yeah. I know what you course, look yeah. like in a cartoon version. Yeah. You're so, Jonathan, right? You know, yeah, I, would, I would say in my mind, you know, pod, podcast is kind of replaced on some level, podcast has replaced the blog. Oh, for sure. Um, and then obviously video podcast or video blogging is, is relevant too. But but I think it's a resource piece. And when people dive into your website yeah. and they see you've got podcasts and episodes, they can, um, they can dial in on and, and learn a little bit about how you conduct yourselves, how you, you know, do you know what the heck you're doing? Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's refreshing when people listen to it and then they, they call you up. It's like, wow, that was pretty good. Well, you guys are also a prime example of how to do this. So in the yeah. in the notes, when we post this, we'll link out to your podcast. I'm going to throw your email awesome. in there too. So if you start getting, you might start getting some emails from folks curious <laughs> okay. to talking to you. Um, also, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to AHI Properties. Um, yeah, thank you. To everyone, go that. visit AHIproperties.com. Yeah, yeah, you can find our podcast through there as well. Perfect. So, but yeah, this has been fun. I, I really thank you, know, you so my, my much. Is, I love. Well, thank you. I love talking about what we love to do. So yeah, it's, it's fun. We'll have to set <laughs> so up another one to dig way. into. Like, I, I have so many questions written down that we didn't even get into. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to book another one. Um, until then, we'll be here for everyone else. Tune back in next week. Actually, next week we're meeting with uh, Deb Newell, property management masterminding. Oh, I'm sure you love, guys know her. Love Deb. Thanks, everyone. Jonathan, thank Brian, you so much. thank you so much. You oh, guys have an awesome, thank you. awesome rest of your day. Hey, thanks, man. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks, everyone. See you back next week.